Welcome to Award Winners. I'm John, joined by my seatmate Dave, Dave Cross. This is our night at the Oscars, where we watch Oscar-winning movies while enjoying Oscar Meyer wieners. It's a celebration of American culinary and cinematic pop culture. In this episode, we discuss the historical fiction-slash-comedy Forrest Gump, winner of the 1994 Oscar for Best Picture. David. David Cross. How's it going? John, as you were doing that intro, it got me thinking. Were you a bus kid growing up? Yes, I took the bus home. Unfortunately, when I went to high school, there was like a two-mile radius from the school where if you were within that, you had to walk. I had to walk my ass home because <laughs> we were we were like at like 1.9 miles from the school. So I was a bus kid to and from. I was probably I was one of the first people picked up and like one of the last people dropped off, if not the last. I remember having a lot of fun on the bus. Like I don't know why. I just really did. <laughs> I mean, you hung out with a bunch of kids. If you sat on the back and went over a bump, you could launch yourself up and. T- <laughs> It's true. That's very true. Whoa! <laughs> I mean, it was kind of just like a hangout on the way home. My uh, favorite bus story was, I was little, maybe fifth grade, it had snowed and we had went to school anyway. Bus driver came to a hill and stopped and was, she was like, I'm not going down this hill. This is way too dangerous. And then we watched, a bunch of cars went around us and spun out down going down the hill. <laughs> I was like, missed a half a day of school because there was just, we just were stuck on the bus for four hours or something <laughs> what did they do did they try to turn the bus around or they're just like we gotta wait and call somebody we were stuck uh they called the city and the city got a, a truck to come through and clean the snow so we could go down this hill we still had a great time watching cars screw up for, for two and a half three hours it was wonderful i'm always going to remember that weird moment from my childhood stupid is as stupid does they say dave <laughs> yes that is a great statement well, what's going on? That's a great question. I have some great news, though not life-changing news. So I wanted to update everyone on my novella. I started pitching it out to publishers recently. Okay. Uh, and I've gotten really good feedback. I had one publisher say that they liked it, though it didn't fit their imprint, and that I'm doing everything right, and they believe it'll get published. So that's, that's awesome. cool. Yeah, that's that's good to hear. So is this like going to be a, a scholastic book fair soon? Or? <laughs> it's, it's an adult horror novel, speculative fiction, dark fantasy. But if you want to put it at a kid's fair, I, I'm all for like really messing with, with the little ones. <laughs> there's R.L. Stein and then there's you. <laughs> yeah, mine's way more graphic. Have I talked on this podcast about meeting R.L. Stein? I don't know. Dude's super tall. He is like the tallest dude I've ever seen. He's probably 6'6". Six, six. Uh, really i somehow i did not picture him being (laughs) tall he's so tall i mean i i was standing next to him i'm I'm like six feet tall and i was looking up i was like i can't believe this like you're Mm. you're really scary and imposing standing next to you wow (laughs) well i read a lot of his stuff as a kid i didn't read a lot of his stuff i read a little bit of it like the big ones you know like the dummy i read the beast Mm -hmm. yeah about the roller coaster yeah and I probably read 50 or 60 of those Goosebumps books. I never knew that, John. Um, Wow. We could have been bonding over Goosebumps this whole time. I don't remember most of them because they're very similar. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. And uh, he just like cranked them out. He wrote 20 pages a day. 20 pages a day. That's insane. Yeah. Well, he had to if he wrote like 100 Goosebumps novels. Uh, so, so what's going on with you? Man, I, I've been super busy, new job. I went to my cousin's wedding and on the way there, I found out one of my friends had died very suddenly of a brain aneurysm. That has been the past few weeks. It's like everything has changed in certain ways. 
Very busy. Some good things, some not so good things. Well, my condolences, John. I, I did know the person you're mentioning as well. Sad moment. It's a very sad moment. They were a podcast listener. Dave, let's talk about first run movies or things that we've just seen recently. I watched Dune and I heard you finally caught up on Shang-Chi. Did you have thoughts on either one of those movies? I do. I really like Dune. I think it's gorgeous. Really good. It's in my top five movies of the year so far. Closing in on Academy season, so that'll probably get dropped lower, but I can see a world where it hits top 10 easy. Shang-Chi, this is going to be a shock to everyone, everyone who's listening. I really liked it. I liked it way more than I thought I would. It felt like a, a breath of fresh air for the Marvel MCU. It's not a perfect movie. But I really enjoyed it, and I'm happy I watched it. Probably should have watched it when it came. I liked it. I, you know, I don't know if I would call it a breath of fresh air because I felt there is a formula here. There is one character in particular, which we'll just try to stay spoiler free. But I think his father's story arc is actually really good. Yep. Maybe that's what you think is the breath of fresh air. Like it's a slightly different take on that. Well, I was thinking about that. What I like about it is it doesn't feel weighed down by twenty odd other movies. It feels more more individual. Uh, there are connections to the MCU. Additionally, I know nothing about this character. Like, I don't know nothing about them growing up. So coming in, it was all completely new. I tried to read a couple of Shang-Chi comics, and I, like, really am not into it. But it's a deep cut. He's, like, kind of an obscure character in the MCU. But I do like that actor a whole lot. I think Simo Liu. I'm looking forward to him being in more team-up kind of movies, because I think that's what this movie was, was just an introduction Yep. Bouncing back to the Black Widow for a second, like what you were saying is this not being weighed down by 20 some odd movies. I actually think that's where the Black Widow story failed in many ways is it's part of a storyline that already ended for us. So like they went back and added like another piece to it that we really didn't need. Um, <laughs> and it felt so non-critical to moving the plot forward. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, I also watched Jungle Cruise. John is exactly the type of movie you think it is. It is completely <laughs> innocuous. There is not, you're watching it and you're like, this is an okay time. One second after the credit rolls, you're going to be like, what did I just watch? I forgot everything. <laughs> I feel like those are two actors who are very wholesome in many ways. And you're just like, okay, I'm sure that's fine. <laughs> yep. Watch it with your mom and dad. Watch it with some kids. You're not going to remember it, but you're not going to have a bad time either. So take yeah. it for what it is. Well, let's move to Dune for a second before we get into Forrest Gump. So Dune, I've been waiting for this movie for years, like pretty literally years. Would you describe yourself as a Dune head? Is that what people call themselves? Uh, are you a, a sandworm? I don't know. Like, <laughs> you, you're, you're a Dune enthusiast. I Okay, I've been part of the Dune subreddit for a decade. Wow. <laughs> I didn't know. But I don't yet. post anything there. I just follow along. Uh, I've read four of the original series of books because the fourth one got really weird. And then I was like, eh, <laughs> I'm going to stop. <laughs> I like Dune a lot, and I actually very much liked the sci-fi series that was on 15 years ago. Yeah. Sci-fi. Yeah, on the sci-fi channel. So I was looking forward to it. I, I really thought it worked pretty well. The special effects have finally caught up to a point where we can show a lot of the things that were in the book in a way that isn't ridiculously embarrassing. So like going back to the David Lynch one, I think maybe it's it was too ambitious of a film to do in the early 80s because we just didn't have the technology to make it. I guess my only disappointment in the movie is like it didn't feel like it got very far into the book. It kind of ends abruptly. And we know it's going to be two parts, but it was like it moved very slow. I, I felt, you know, like I wanted to see more progression in the story. I get that. 
but I think you'll be happy with the next movie because it's going to be all bangers all the time. For sure. And it it's like a political drama in many ways, too. So it's, it's not always action. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, what did you think of the movie, Dave? Yeah, I really liked it across the board. I, I did enjoy like sort of the ponderous aspects of it. I went into it not knowing that it basically stopped midway through. <laughs> yeah, you're like, hey, where's Zendaya? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Basically, <laughs> <And> then... <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. That's exactly what I thought, actually. But I did. I really liked it across the board. Really, really fun, really interesting, great visuals. It does feel a little stiff, but I think that's on, on design, and that's also kind of the director's MO. The one thing that I really wish they would have had in that is the the phrase from the original walk without rhythm you won't attract the worm uh did they not say that i thought they, they said something close to it they didn't get yeah. the original i would have i would have lost my mind if they actually said that <laughs> yeah well i'm looking forward to part two i was a little surprised to learn they only started filming it now like two and a half years after they were done filming the last one well we I mean it's an expensive movie like <laughs> they're like we gotta recoup our money could you imagine if it didn't make any money and then we were only stuck with the first half I would just be pissed because it's like, we were waiting so long. I kind of don't know why they didn't do them back to back because I think the director said he was willing to do that, but I guess they felt it was too much of a risk. My brother texted me and he was like, I'm sitting next to a dude who's saying that Dune's a ripoff of Star Wars. Good luck with that. <sighs> Good luck with that. <laughs> You're like, okay. I, I don't even care. I don't want to argue about this. Go away. <laughs> Yeah, that's unfortunate that Star Wars is a bigger property than Dune. For now. We're on our way. We're going to get sandworms in space. So, John, do you want to jump into this movie? I'm going to run into this movie, Dave. So how would you describe Forrest Gump? Forrest Gump is kind of a simple man who, I guess by coincidence, either influences history or is a part of many historical moments. So it is a historical fiction account of the U.S., from like the 1950s to the 1990s. I think it's like 83, 84. I said a simple boomer, Mr. Magoo's his way through the decades. Yeah, uh, I mean, kind of. He, he's, like, okay. he's like the luckiest man on earth. Everything kind of just happens to him. It just, it works for him. Let's get into it. Some movie facts. The movie was released July 6th, 1994. It's runtime, two hours, 22 minutes, $55 million budget, and pulled in $683 million in the box office. It was directed by Robert Zemeckis, who's known for the Back to the Future trilogy and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I think if you watch Back to the Future, definitely see how he does movies. Like He has like a sense of humor that is, is in both of them. He's primarily known for his use of special effects. Yeah, he's a Spielberg mentee. I mean, he's only four years younger than Spielberg, but Spielberg really like helped him get his career going. Anything else you want to add? Yeah, uh, blue collar upbringing. He's a well known Democrat. I feel like we I should mention that because this movie has some uh, political discourse around it. I got like sort of got to start with Romancing the Stone, which people would say is the Indiana Jones ripoff, but I still think it's really good. But the studios expected it to flop, and after the studio saw a first cut of Romancing the Stones, they fired him from Cocoon. <laughs> They're like, nope, it's not good enough. Romancing the Stone ended up being a huge hit. Actually, I wanted to ask you, John, like. Do you have a favorite Zemeckis movie? I probably don't even know his entire body of work, but I am a big fan of the Back to the Future trilogy. I actually like I actually like this movie too. I'm a big fan of Back to the Future, though I haven't seen him in a while. So by a while, I mean like 15 years. But I do love Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Absolutely love that movie. I have seen that significantly more recently. Uh, but that's probably my my favorite one of his. 
This is based on a novel by Winston Groom. In the research I saw, there's like really one really funny part about this. And so he sold the, sold the rights for this book for $350,000 plus 3% of the net profits of the film. Wow. Uh, and then he got into a serious dispute with Paramount, who after the film was out, told him that the movie was actually in the red and that it wasn't going to make any money. So he threatened to sue them. Uh, and then they're like, okay, okay, right. You're right. Here's some money. <laughs> that amount is undisclosed, but I brought that up because Hollywood math is real bad. <laughs> Hollywood accounting, never trust it. Yeah, I mean, they must have been pissed when they saw how much the movie made. And they're like, we got to give him what? <laughs> I mean, he made millions. Uh, yeah. But I, I have a little game I want to play, John. Okay. The script for Forrest Grump is significantly different than the book. I haven't read the book. This is just based off my readings. Uh-huh. But I have a game, and it's called Which Careers Did Forrest Have in the Book? So I've marked out three careers, and you have to tell me which one of these he did in the book. Okay. So Hollywood stuntman, astronaut, and a pro wrestler that goes by the name The Dunce. So I know he was a wrestler in the book. Mm-hmm. I actually think he was an astronaut also, mm-hmm. and I don't, I, I don't know about the stuntman. It seems like you know a little bit more than I thought you would. We're going to go with he did all three. Oh, did he? Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a much different book. Uh, I also read somewhere that he wrote the first draft of this in six weeks. As a writer, that is an insane amount of time to write a, write a first draft of a book. Like, that's so fast. I mean, I, I would have to say, like, he's probably doing, like, 3,000, 4,000 words a day. That's, all, that's a ton. What would your wrestling name be? <laughs> You're putting me on the spot, uh-huh. and I don't have a good answer for you. Because I think you've thought about this already. So what would your wrestling name be? I do have an internal wrestling name that I go by in my apartment when I'm wrestling my dog. Uh-huh. Uh, and I go by the claw, which is just my hand. <laughs> you know, my dog's very small. So like, yeah. I just like grab his head. I'm like, the claw's coming. <laughs> Next episode, you come back with your wrestling, your wrestling <laughs> name. It's not going to be the sandworm or the... <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I'd have to think about that. So this movie went up against some heavy, heavy hitters in the Oscar ceremony. Pulp Fiction. Shawshank Redemption, Quiz Show, Four Weddings, and A Funeral. Thoughts on these movies, John? So I watched all of them in the past couple of weeks. Wow, good for you. All of them are are very good, actually. Because sometimes we watch some of the movies and I'm like, what the hell were they thinking with that nomination? <laughs> I, I'd say my Axel least fa- my least favorite, and it's not because it's not good, is Four Weddings and A Funeral. It's still a good movie and you should watch it. It's just of these movies, like, it's the one that's the most different. The other ones, I think, are are even better. The weakest one is still a very good movie. Yeah, you, you're saying it's like an 8 out of 10, even the, weak, the weakest one? Yeah. Wow, that's really good. I watched Pulp Fiction and Shawshank. Not a shocker. Really like both of them. So, John, I know these are like heavy hitters in the movie field. So mm-hmm. what I wanted to mention was like Shawshank is the number one movie in IMDb. You're saying in terms of audience score? Like, like everyone loves it. It's number one. I'm pretty sure Forrest Gump is in the top 20, but I can't remember really off the okay. top of my head. Uh, and I know Pulp Fiction is also way up there. Let's rank those three movies. Let's do Pulp Fiction, Shawshank, and Forrest Gump. You're just saying like our personal preference for the movies? I would say, oh boy. Uh, why don't you go first, Dave? <laughs> Uh, I think I'm going to go Pulp Fiction, Shawshank, Forrest Gump. I would probably do Forrest Gump, Shawshank, and then Pulp Fiction. Wow, wow. Uh, it's always interesting that when we disagree, why that ranking? 
I guess if I were to suggest movies for people, I don't know if everyone would enjoy Pulp Fiction. I think most people would enjoy Forrest Gump, Mm -hmm. you know, on many levels. And then Shawshank has a real heart to it where I think Pulp Fiction, like it feels like an indie release in many ways. And I, I don't think it would have as broad appeal. I ranked Pulp Fiction higher because I, I really like the direction and the dialogue. It influenced movies for like, 20 25 years that it came out it felt like it just turned everything on its head everything became stylized and brutal i like shawshank just because it's a really solid solid story straight through like i can't find anything that's wrong with that film just to add to your pulp fiction comment i think it also weaves a story very well so the narrative is not in linear sequence always i like that storytelling mechanism there because it actually weaves a complex story with characters moving in and out of different lines Um, Mm -hmm. so i i think that was like one of the best parts of that movie just moving on some of the biggest snubs this was a little bit hard for me to determine this year usually there's like a website i follow that's really a really good write-up i think it would be woody allen's bullet over broadway or ed wood I would love to do Ed Wood at some point in the future. I remember watching that movie and really like it. And it's also sort of in my wheelhouse. Ed Wood's a schlock director. It's basically all yeah, Johnny know. Depp. Yep. Yeah, Johnny Depp did it. So Forrest Gump was nominated for 13 different Oscars and it won six, including Best Director, Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Screenplay, Best Visuals, and Best Editing. And uh, it won one more, John. Our Hearts. keep going i wanted to do another little game here we always talk about the top grossing movie of the year can you guess what the top grossing movie was i mean i would guess it would be this movie it it was number two okay yeah i i am not even sure what else came out this year that would top that i mean lion king the lion king the lion king you know disney when it had movies come out back in the day, that those were huge releases always. So yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Huge, huge. I'm not again. I'm not surprised by that either. Uh, other films that came out this year: uh, True Lies, Speed, Mrs. Doubtfire, The Mask. My general take on 1994 is that it was filled with bangers, except for the, the mask. mask. Yeah, except for the mask. <laughs> Don't watch that. Don't go back and relive relive your youth. Everything else here is great. True Lies is really underrated. I it have to say. Underrated. Well, I haven't seen it in probably 15 years, but it's like one of those things where you're like. This is going to be a bad Arnold film. And you're like, this is really good. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. You can't you can't go wrong with Cameron. So if you're a first time listener, you should know that we eat movie themed hot dogs while watching these movies. David, how's your dog dressed on the red carpet this evening? Very poorly. Terrible decision. My original idea was to just take mini hot dogs and then essentially cover them in chocolate, like that hard shell chocolate that you can make. And I realized that would be a terrible, terrible decision, even for me. So what I ended up doing was just buying uh, mole with chocolate in it and just basically like making a mole dog and eating that. That doesn't uh, not, sound that bad. That sounds like it'd go really good with a corn dog. I, I liked it. It's not as fun as my normal stuff, but sometimes like you just got to go straight forward. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. So what did you do? I really haven't had time to do anything. I was in New Orleans for a wedding like a week ago. If I were to try to tie this into Forrest Gump, I think like a shrimp po' boy is probably not that different from a hot dog because it's served in the bun in kind of a hot dog fashion with fried shrimp thrown on there. So maybe if I had time to do something, I would have looked into that. I think that's good. I actually thought about the po' boy too. And I asked Sarah, my my partner, and I was like, are hot dogs 
are hot dogs po' boys? <laughs> and she's like, just like, shut up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, no, they're not, but it's close. Like, it's yeah. maybe a cousin. I thought you might not be able to get to this because I know you're really busy. And so I have an alternative hot dog suggestion for you. Okay. It's just a hot dog with a piece of carrots. <laughs> <With this> piece <laughs> of carrots I was wondering if you were going to do that. Like, how are you going to tie that in? I cringe when I think of that. <laughs> <laughs> or what if you cut the hot dogs up and then mix it with a piece of carrots so it's not on the bun? I don't know. I don't know. I It's the peas that throw me off. Because I've, like, shredded carrots and put them on a hot dog with other things before, and it's worked. The peas, I'm not convinced, mm-hmm. are a good addition. But, you know, I'm I'm willing to be proven wrong. Okay. Why do you hate the English so much, John? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, if you try either of those uh, recipes, anyone out there, please let us know and, and get back to me again. I'm going to I'm gonna say, like, the mole is pretty good. If I would have spent more time, like, actually, like, coming up with, like, stuff to put on top of it, I think it would have been even better. All right, so Dave, tell us about the actors in this movie. I think the big actor we want to talk about is Tom Hanks. You might know him from movies like Saving Private Ryan, Philadelphia, Big, Apollo 13, uh, the Toy Story franchise. So John, how would you describe Tom Hanks? Tom Hanks seems to be the most likable person in Hollywood. He just seems like a, a nice guy. And I hope there's no scandals or anything that would change my opinion of him. Well, I'm going to change your mind right now, John. Oh, God. No, no. I I actually, when I was doing the research, I couldn't find anything scandalous about him. The most scandalous thing is he once bought the press corps an espresso machine. (laughs) Like, there's nothing threatening about him at all. He just, he's a good actor. He's down to earth. He's friendly. He's charming. He's funny. Nothing else to do. (laughs) It's good to have those kind of boring, normal, nice people in, in Hollywood. So he has two best actor awards from the Academy, and that's for Philadelphia and this movie, Forrest Gump. Mm -hmm. Strangely enough, he collects manual typewriters and he has his own app about it. (laughs) There's an app? Yeah, it's supposed to like simulate using a typewriter. Uh, I mean, I I guess it just has haptics response on your phone. I see. Interesting. I had no idea. (laughs) Yeah. And then he is an honorary member of the United States army rangers hall of fame for his accurate portrayal of a captain in saving private ryan that is a very good movie also it is yeah so i want to ask what's your favorite tom hanks movie that is a good question because they're also different and that i think shows a good range i will just say maybe my favorite underrated tom hanks movie is the burbs yeah burbs is good burbs is good it was it was a flop box office it's a fun movie about the neighborhood watch being invaded by aliens or something like that. Um, And you should watch it if you haven't seen it. I think it's underrated. He does very good movies and I think makes good decisions generally. So I was just at the World War II Museum in New Orleans. There's a movie that you can see there that fills you in on some history. Of course, it's Tom Hanks being the narrator. He's everywhere, especially if if it deals with World War II, it seems. Stephen Pryor Ryan was a giant success. (laughs) And so yeah. he's everywhere. And he also did, he produced Band of Brothers. So that makes sense. Yeah. And that's another solid Spielberg and uh, Hank's effort there. So I think my favorite movie by him is Splash. It's a close call between that and Saving Private Ryan. I'm going to lean towards the funny. Uh, and when I was doing a lot of reading of like, what do people think Tom Hank's best movie? Uh, Apollo 13 came up a ton. And that is a movie that I have not seen in literally 20 years. So I do not know how good it is. 
I would say the same. I saw that in the theater, I think, with my dad, and I don't think I've seen it since then. Moving on down, uh, we're talking about Robin Wright, and she played Ginny, and you would know her from such movies as The Princess Bride, Unbreakable. Most notably, I think you would know her as from Netflix's House of Cards, generally a very well-respected, very great actress. Finally, I want to mention Gary Sinise, and he plays Lieutenant Dan. He was also in Apollo 13. He was in Green Mile, Of Mice and Men, and the TV miniseries The Stand, which I really like. Did you know that he is part of the Lieutenant Dan Band? And that is a cover band that travels around the United States and plays shows for military bases and for charities. And I think he's raised millions of dollars for disabled vets, like through his efforts there too. Yeah, he he seems like a really cool dude. And then you have a note here that he, (laughs) I didn't know this, but he is the voice of the narrator of the Smithsonian and Captain America Winter Soldier. It's like one of those things when I was looking at his, his credits, it's like, he's in Captain America Winter Soldier. I'm like, he is where? There's a couple scenes when people are in the Smithsonian learning about Captain America. Uh, it's Gary Sinise as the narrator. He's reading aloud things in the exhibits. He's even part of the MCU. Good for him. Here's a little funny thing about Gary Sinise, at least, at least personally. Growing up, I confused him all the time with, I believe it's Robert Patrick from Terminator 2. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't keep her straight and i was just like who's this guy <laughs> you're like yeah, okay it's completely face face blind completely not at all the same <laughs> they're, but, not, okay. they're not at all yeah. but that's just my weird brain uh, yeah. Oh, okay um so yeah so i have only one real production fact and fact to mention this was, movie was originally purchased by warner brothers but then they canceled plans to make the movie after the success of rain man in 1988 and and that's another movie we will be covering in the future essentially they said the quote appetite for a film of of this nature had already been filled by rain man (laughs) what happened was an executive at warner brothers left for paramount and they took the script with them and then that's basically how they got it produced there's like a lot of back backstory stuff like paramount tried to slash the budget and tom hanks and zemeckis basically put their own money in that we're not going to get into but this is the one thing that I thought was really funny. There you go. Yeah, Hollywood's. And we don't need another movie about a savant. <laughs> so, Dave, you have some historical context for this film. You know, what happened in 1994 and how did people react to this movie? Yeah. So, well, I was alive in 1994 and I'm sure you were too, John. I was a little kid and I don't remember much of it. So I read some stuff just what was important in 1994 and how did it relate to this movie? So Bill Clinton became the 42nd president in 1993, and then during the following midterm election under the leadership of Newt Gingrich, Republicans took control of both the House and the Senate, and Republicans had not had held the majority in the House for almost 40 years. So it was it was known as the Republican Revolution. A lot of GOP politicians cited Forrest Gump as talking points, and there was a lot of focus on returning to family values at this point. And they talked about how, in their mind, Forrest Gump was a conservative movie. Here's what Newt Gingrich said. And remember, he was really into family values, which is just coded language for him being a racist and a sexist and a misogynist. And he's also, I believe, twice divorced. But anyway, he said people went to see it as a reaffirmation that the counterculture destroys human beings and basic values. Maybe being simple but good and decent and romantic is a lot better. I think there was also the Republicans were super up in arms against Hollywood at the time. They probably still are. 
but yeah. I mean, they felt this was one Hollywood movie that wasn't leftist propaganda or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. I, what's funny about this is like, I don't, I'm not even sure how this is necessarily a family values movie. If like, or a traditional family movie, because you've got a single mother raising a child who's sleeping with her principal to advance the child in life. And then Jenny, who is a free spirit. I, I would just say like, I'm not sure how this fits into the Republican narrative here. I think what they're really latching on to is that Gump is like a pro American. He's like pro American, but but it also quote took shots at at the counterculture, particularly in the scene of where where Gump beats on the um the hippie. The yeah, we're calling him the hippie. My real interpretation of this, after reading a lot of this stuff, like I think it is, I think that the movie can be read as little c conservative but i also think that a lot of people wildly attributed things to this movie that aren't there yeah i mean i i saw zemeckis talk about it and he's just like i'm not sure how people got this uh, i think the most interesting quote of the academic articles i was reading on this was like and i'm paraphrasing if you're a popular piece of media people are going to try to latch onto it and add it to their like mythology and iconography and talk about it as if they own it in order to like get into the, the, the zeitgeist and talk about the zeitgeist. And this just sounds like the, the GOP at the time latched onto this. And because they latched onto it and claimed it as their own, there was a bunch of people who were like, well, conservatives, so we have to reject it, which is kind of a shame. Cause I don't, again, like, I think there are messages in here, but I don't think this is a 100% conservative film. Yeah, and and let's get into that because I think let's just start the movie because I, I think we have some points to talk about along those lines. So the movie opens with Forrest Gump, the character we've talked about, sitting on a bench in Savannah, Georgia, uh, waiting for a bus. And we don't know why yet. And we see this feather blow through. So that's how the movie starts. And we'll get into that probably later as it comes back a few times in the movie. Forrest is telling the various people sitting next to him at the bus stop the story of his life. How would you describe Forrest as a character? Slow-witted, but really determined. Generally very friendly to everyone. Doesn't get social cues. <laughs> like, like not, not at all. You would probably say he's on the, on the spectrum somewhere. They even talk about it a little bit. I would say Forrest is non-judgmental. So he's an unbiased observer of all these historical events he witnesses throughout his life. He's kind of just this innocent bystander. He's not cynical. Because he really doesn't have the capacity to be cynical. And it's refreshing in certain ways. So, so John, like, is Tom Hanks' performance problematic? Uh, why do you feel it could be problematic? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so, like, is it problematic that he's playing a mentally disabled person? He is playing a low-intelligence person. Like, I guess, would we say he's mentally disabled? Questionable. Do I think that's problematic? Kind of say no, because I don't think it's done in a malicious manner or for him to be made fun of. What's your take on this? Yeah, I don't know either. I, I lean no as well, because he's on the borderline. And they're also getting, he's not the butt of a joke. He's the main character. Like There are jokes about him, but they're like, it's not mean. They're not mean to him. In fact, in many ways, you could say this person is quite capable. Mm-hmm. Yep. Getting into Forrest's life, he grows up in a small town called Greenbow in Alabama, he has some limitations, some physical ones as well. So as he's growing up, he is forced to wear these leg braces to help straighten out his spine. And then I, I found this really interesting. So as we meet this young actor playing Forrest Gump, 
this kid had never acted in anything before. And I forget his name, unfortunately. On a whim, like his parents saw an advertisement in a newspaper saying there was a company looking for some child actors. This kid lived in Mississippi, thought it would be fun, like just a story to tell later in life. Like I one time tried out to be an actor and he got the position of being a young Forrest Gump. It, It turns out when they were doing casting, sometimes Tom Hanks was there. When he met this kid, this kid just has like a Mississippi drawl. That is how Tom Hanks decided on the accent he has for Forrest Gump. So it's like this little kid just talks that way normally because he's from this part of Mississippi. And Tom Hanks was like, that's it. That's the accent I'm going to do. And he would just ask the kid, could you say this for me? And then he would try to imitate it back. Do you think that's because they couldn't teach the kid not to have an accent? And they're just like, well, it's easier to have Tom Hanks actually act. <laughs> He's like, I didn't know how to do the accent. Like, I didn't know what the accent was going to be. And when they met this kid from, you know, a region probably not that far from where Forrest Gump would have grown up. He's like, boom, this is it. I'm going to take it and run with it spawned a million quotes (laughs) one of the things that we didn't get into and i I think maybe right now is a great time to do it i I just wanted to explain my relationship with this film uh because we're still early on with it i was given this film for a christmas gift and i've seen it a bunch a million times i have really good memories of watching it as a young kid because it was one of like six movies that i owned not only that it was also on tv on repeat i remember i saw this movie (laughs) I don't think they have these anymore, but they had like second run movie theaters. Oh, like yeah. Discount movie theater. I saw, I remember going, I think my parents still get to see this movie at the Dollar Theater, which was something we didn't do very often because there were too many of us in the family. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> six it of was you? a, yeah, six of us. So the $6 movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's like $50 a day. <laughs> do they even have second run theaters anymore? I feel like they don't. They might, I, but I don't know. They probably have them in the Midwest. They definitely don't have them here. Yeah, I don't I don't know if they have any here either. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to bring that up because it's going to influence a lot of how I talk about this film. And I feel like the audience and everyone listening should know that. Okay, so Dave, you are not Forrest Gump, who's an unbiased observer of history. You nope. have some biased opinions. I do. I do have some biased opinions. But moving on in the story, almost immediately we learn that uh, Forrest was named after Nathan Bedford Forrest, the first Grand Wizard of the Klux Klan and a Confederate general. Thoughts on this, John? So the story that they cut out of the film was that you know they were going to have like a lynching. And you know, I guess they thought that that was too dramatic to have in the movie. And I would agree. But then they were going to have this guy be lynched because he the way it was going to go down is uh, Nathan Bedford was going to fall into a pit of mud. And then the other Ku Klux Klan members were going to think he was a black man because he was covered in mud and then lynch him. Holy shit. <laughs> That's not, not not something I want. But no, they didn't put that in the movie. They uh, didn't think that was going to work. What are my thoughts? Generally, I like these little montages when they cut back in history to show his ancestors or anyone's ancestors because they use the same actor in like different clothing, basically doing the same thing in a different era. I thought that was kind of a cool, fun, little quirky you know montage that happened several times in the film. Like, what are your thoughts on this? I would never name my child after a Confederate soldier. But I think in this case, the mother names Forrest after their their ancestor sort of as a way to reclaim the name. That's basically how I interpreted that scene. I know other people interpret it like, oh, this makes him racist. And I was like, I don't know. I don't think it makes him racist. Maybe it makes his mother a little racist. Yeah, that's, that's potentially true too. But that's the difficulty of talking about this movie that I like that is also quasi- 
problematic. <laughs> maybe what we not living in that area think of racist is maybe more just a cultural tradition. By that, I mean names, not Ku Klux Klan. So let's let's keep talking a little bit more about Forrest's early years. So Forrest's mother runs a boarding house, and that's how they, they make money. One of the funny parts about this movie is that Forrest interacts with history, and at the boarding house, he teaches Elvis how to do his signature dance. Say, man, show me that crazy little walk you just did there. Slow down some. That's right. Forrest's legs are in these braces, which restrict his movement in certain ways. Can, can we break our no accents and impressions? Yeah, go for it, Dave. <laughs> show me that funny little dance you do. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like those little things that it's like kind of fun. Uh, what do you think of Elvis, by the way? Of Elvis? I don't have strong opinions about Elvis. I don't really listen to Elvis's music. Like, do you have a, a opinion about Elvis? I mean, I like Hound Dog. Like, I don't really have much of an opinion on him either. <laughs> yeah, it's before my time. I feel like it doesn't impact me in any way. Didn't he do the peanut butter, banana, and bacon sandwich? Like fried bananas or something like that in a peanut butter sandwich. Yeah. Culinary innovator right there. Love him. <laughs> uh, uh, this is also something I vaguely knew about, but did you know that Elvis's dancing was considered sexual before the movie? I did know that. I was just thinking like, so there's a scene in the film where Forrest's mother, they're walking down the street and they see uh, Elvis performing at the Milton Berle show. He's gyrating and she covers his eyes. What would she do if she saw Little Nas X's performance on Saturday Night Live? <laughs> like her, her head would explode. <laughs> it's a different time, Dave. Yeah, it is a different time. You're right. But anyway, I like I just laughed about it. I actually looked up reviews of the performance from Milton Berle show, and people would call it Elvis's performance vulgar, animalistic, lacking masculinity. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. I thought it was pretty cool. Everyone's got opinions. Yeah. Also, just so it's clear, I love Lil Nas X. He is my favorite pop culture person right now. He does so many funny things. <laughs> Follow him on uh, Instagram. All right. There's Dave's plug. <laughs> Moving on a little bit, we or we see Forrest on his first day of school. He boards the bus and meets Jenny, who basically turns into his lifelong companion. She's one of the few people on the bus who's nice to Forrest and lets him sit next to her. And according to Forrest, they become fast friends and we're always together like peas and carrots. So Dave, do you think peas and carrots go together? I mean, they do. Haven't you ever bought them in those little frozen bags? <laughs> is that is that what the reference is? I think so. Like, okay. I've always grown up eating, eating that. Like, I, I wouldn't do it now, but when I'm like my mother would always be like, here's your peas and carrots, eat your vegetables. I'm like, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't really like that medley, I have to say. <laughs> It's okay. It's not for everyone. That's okay. Yeah. Um, I, I don't mind peas and I don't mind carrots, but I usually don't put them together. So the thing that about this scene when he's on the bus and everyone's like, seat taken. The part that I laugh at so much, and this is unintentional. I know it's unintentional, is that there's two boys sitting in a seat and they tell them that seat's taken. There wasn't even any room for fours. They were just like, nope, can't sit here. I can't squeeze the third in. Nope, not at all. Also... When this movie came out and I was riding the bus home, we used this line all the time. <laughs> this movie is like, it taught people how to bully people. <laughs> oh, man, that's probably true. <laughs> Next time I see you, John, I'm going to I'm gonna sit somewhere. I'm going to take seat tag. <laughs> We're on the Metro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how would you describe the character of Jenny that Forrest meets in this scene? 
she's intelligent. She's a free spirit. She's the opposite of Forrest. She's also extremely traumatized. She has a bad family life. She does. It is implied that her father is like sexually abusing her and her sisters. She seeks out Forrest because he is a calming presence in her life. She uses him to escape some of these situations, even if it's just like, I'm going to go hang out with Forrest at his house, or they're going to go off into the woods together. But it basically keeps her away from her abusive home life. Listening to the commentary, Jenny moves in with her grandma a short while later. Um, Like something happens to her father, he gets arrested or taken away. In the movie, they actually filmed this, but it didn't make it in there. There was going to be a scene where Jenny's dad is like drunkenly doing something in the field and she is standing next to the tractor and she was just going to like put it in gear and have it run over him and kill him. So she was going to kill her father in the movie. They they took that out of the film. How do you think that would have changed the movie? I guess the director was saying like they were going to have her standing next to the tractor, focus in on the dad, cut away, and then cut back and have the tractor rolling towards the dad. So you wouldn't quite see her put it in gear and do it. I think that could potentially change our opinion of Jenny. Either one, we then know she's like super tough and willing to do things like that. She's not going to put up with crap from people. I kind of think that she shouldn't do that for her character because in the film, she actually puts up with a lot of crap. And that's probably one of her character flaws is she puts up with too much uh, Mm. before she decides she should leave. Yeah, I think I agree with you you on that. I, I understand why they would cut it out. They also don't show death in this movie. They they show people dying, but they always cut away right at the last minute. It is a PG-13 movie. Oh, it's PG-13. I thought it was R. I guess it makes yeah. sense that it's PG-13. How are you going to make $660 million being an R movie? You, you, you don't. make an R-rated Marvel movie, Dave. <laughs> That's. I mean, Deadpool's coming? I don't know. <laughs> so uh, one day while uh, being picked on by a group of kids, Ginny tells Forrest to run. Run! Uh, Forrest listens, and in the process, he breaks his leg braces. Uh, and this scene is probably the most mocked scene in the movie, but also probably one of the most quoted scenes in the movie. <laughs> this is where you get the run, Forrest, run in slow motion. They're saying that the actor, the kid doing this, was really uncomfortable with this scene because they showed him how they were going to like use explosives to shoot <laughs> these braces off his legs, and he really didn't want to do that he just felt really uncomfortable i wouldn't want explosives on my legs either yeah (laughs) i love that like he starts running and then it's like a cartoon you look up and he's 80 feet in front of these kids on bikes just gone (laughs) that's like a fun little effect that they do a couple times (laughs) well you know like from here they cut over to his high school days and forces being chased by some guys in a truck (laughs) and you see him like leap over this fence way off in the background yeah. it's a very memorable scene i think yeah we would yell this at people on the playground when they were like doing races and stuff <laughs> yeah i do recall doing that too like what do you think is the most quotable line in this movie do you want to do that now i mean it's either this or stupid is as stupid does life is like a box of chocolate yeah you've got those three and those were said by everybody everywhere every for day probably three or four years <laughs> the original meme guys this is the original meme <laughs> College years. So Jenny, to escape her family home, goes to college. Because Jenny's very smart, although traumatized. Forrest kind of doesn't know what he's going to do with his, himself. And there's a gag where, again, he's being chased by the this group of bullies. The same bullies. They're doing it every... It's like 15 years later. <laughs> he runs on this football field, and you see someone throw a pass. And he runs faster than the ball and gets to the place where the receiver catches the ball downfield. And then passes that person. 
there's some famous Alabama football coach watching this. He gets to go to college, John. <laughs> yeah, he gets into college for that reason. And that's it's supposed to be Bear Bryant. No, too much about Alabama football, but I guess he was a very successful coach. And that's who that's supposed to be. It's kind of a, a satire on, we know that he's not very smart, but he made his way to college because he has athletic ability. <laughs> it's maybe it's a satirical comment on NCAA football. I think when he graduates, he's like, college went by real fast. It was the fastest five years of my life. There's that little joke in there too. Hey, it took me four and a half. So <laughs> it's, it happens. You change majors. It's just meant to be funny. And um, while he's at Alabama, you know, like a couple of historical things happen. So the university starts to integrate other races into it. There's this famous scene of this girl going to college there who's being escorted around by FBI agents. She drops her book and Forrest Gump picks it up and hands it to her. And they've edited him into the historical footage. And you see this throughout the film. It's like there's these historical film reels that Forrest is then edited into. At the time, this is a very big deal because we're like at the very, very early stages of Photoshop and computer graphics. So no one had really done it on this scale before. It really did look like he was in these things. Yeah, I remember that being a major selling point and people freaking out seeing all this stuff. It was like a reason you would go see it because you're like, oh, how'd they get him into this? This yeah. footage that looks so real. I read a retrospect of this movie because it, like, it was 25 years old last year. The graphics didn't look that good at the, t- at the time. And I was like, you're fucking crazy. Like, you'd have no idea what you're talking about, 22-year-old. You hadn't seen this food movie. <laughs> like, come on. This was like top-notch special effects for the day. And I think this is one of the reasons this movie won Best mm-hmm. Picture. It's yeah, like, I do too. It's, it's part of the technical aspect of it. This moved things forward dramatically in terms of effects. Yeah. He gets the All-American team. They go see JFK. He goes into the bathroom and there's a signed picture. <laughs> Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe. Monroe. <laughs> yeah. Not a great place to keep it, by the way. Why would you keep the signed picture on the on the shitter? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I guess you can't show your wife. But what I thought was really funny, he was like, I drink 15 Dr. Peppers. And I was like, could I drink 15 Dr. Peppers in a day? And I was like asking myself this question. And I was like, I don't think I could drink like three sodas in a day. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, I could drink three sodas in a day, but could I drink 15 in um, <laughs> two hours? Probably no. not. <laughs> Here's my thing about Dr. Pepper. I have a little secret. Everyone knows John and I are big Ohio State fans. Every time the Ohio State plays, I drink a Dr. Pepper at halftime. Really? Yeah, it's my good luck. How did that happen? Yeah. Like there's those Fansville commercials. I got one as a joke and then I drank one at halftime and when we won and I was like, well, I'm going to continue to do this then. Uh, so now I'm just drinking Dr. Pepper at halftime. Interesting. All right. I had no idea. Is that your soft drink of choice? Uh, no, I prefer Coke. Dr. Pepper is a, a close second. Gotcha. Followed by okay. the left field orange drink. Like I love Crush and Sunkiss. <laughs> I do. I love it so much. <laughs> I like a grape Crush or like yeah. Grape? Who are you? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I uh, I like those like bad fruit flavors. <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> get out of here, John. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So moving on throughout Forrest's life, and even in college, he stays close to Jenny. He goes and visits her every time we see her. She's with another man. Would you say like maybe her relationships are trying to fill the emotional void that she has from her younger life and it kind of just ends up sometimes she's in bad relationships because she feels like she needs some companionship or something like that because she she didn't get it at certain points? Yeah, I understand what you're trying to ask. I mean, that's her whole character. She's just 
reliving traumatic moments. It's a, it's a cycle, right? Cycle of trauma. And she's having relationships with people to fill that void. I think you're absolutely right about that. I think what happens is she gets kicked out of college because she like poses for Playboy. Or, you know, she was probably on the path to be a successful businesswoman of some kind or a lawyer. Mm-hmm. But this derails her life in many ways. We also see that, you know, one time when Forrest goes up to visit her, you know, she and Forrest have this like awkward sexual moment. I mean, essentially, uh, he touches her boob. And then jizzes in his pants. (laughs) Yeah, basically. I think this scene's very kind of strange. Because when I was little, I didn't know, I couldn't tell if she actually liked him or if she was messing with him. And this, the scene is played for laughs. So I'm, I don't know. I still don't know what she was thinking at that moment. Maybe she thinks that Forrest won't have another moment like this or hasn't. I'm not, yeah, I'm not really sure I understand why either. But Forrest always considers Jenny his girl regardless of what's happening or, or regardless of what Jenny's doing. Yeah, which is in itself kind of problematic. Back to that scene. I mean, I laughed at it. Again, I don't understand it. Uh, it, it might just be there to get a laugh, actually. I guess we can we can move on because I don't have much more if to If you say know, you send us a message and let us know because like, I, I have no idea. <laughs> Immediately after graduating, Forrest enlists in the Army. Basically, he doesn't know what he's going to do. A recruiter walks up to him and says like, what do you want to do in life, son? Join the army. And he does. So he goes <laughs> off to boot camp. Great. On the bus there, seat's taken. And then he meets Bubba, who's the one guy who lets him sit down next to him. And then we meet Bubba. Well, tell me about Bubba, Dave. He represents America's entrepreneurial spirit. He's a black man who was drafted. He has dreams of being a fisher boat captain and comes from a long line of shrimpers. Anyway, like I was saying, shrimp is the fruit of the sea. You can barbecue it. Boil it, brawl it, bake it, saute it. There's um, shrimp kebabs, shrimp creole, shrimp gumbo, pan fried, deep fried, stir fried. There's pineapple shrimp, lemon shrimp, coconut shrimp, pepper shrimp, shrimp soup, shrimp stew, shrimp salad. Do you think he's also a little slow? Uh, probably. Yeah, not. I don't think he is to the point of where uh, Forrest generally just sort of a good guy they get along really really well Forrest excels in the army because he's very good at following orders and doing things at one point the drill sergeant's like you're a goddamn genius trump you're gonna be a general one day uh, <laughs> <laughs> we mentioned earlier we're like a lot of conservatives see this movie as anti-counterculture but it's also making fun of the military right here <laughs> The military confusing a guy who will never be a general (laughs) with someone who can rise up the ranks. Forrest then hears that Jenny is playing music in a topless bar, I guess. I'm not really sure I I understand exactly what that venue is. Uh, And he shows up while Jenny's on stage playing a song. A man starts basically trying to grope her and then Forrest beats that man up and she gets tossed out of the job. Hitchhikes away, basically. They separate again for a period of time. I guess we don't know what's going to happen next. What I started to pick up on at this point, I think what she says to Forrest is something like, you know, Forrest, I know you're going to go to Vietnam. I'm, I'm worried for you. If you ever get into any trouble, just run. Because we've seen her say that to him in other capacities, the run, Forrest, run thing before. And we kind of have learned that's how she manages her own trauma is by running. There's sort of double meanings 
that I bet boomers' minds would be blown about Instagram if they were at a tapas bar and then they found out about Instagram. Whoa. <laughs> Instagram is 85% butts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about TikTok, but Instagram, 100%. <laughs> I'm following the wrong people, apparently, Dave. Uh, so Instagram thinks the Warbringers account loves weightlifting. I don't know why, <laughs> but it, it thinks that I we want to watch uh, videos of people weightlifting. 90% of those videos are um, attractive women doing lunges, <laughs> like at the gym. <laughs> and I'm just like, I don't understand. <laughs> it's, it's really bugging me. I'm like, I want to see some good reviews. I want to interact with the community. Nope. Weightlifting and butts. Maybe our community is butt weightlifters. Right. That'd be pretty cool. I'm not I'm not opposed to that, I guess. Let's move to Forced Time in Vietnam. Yeah, so once he gets to Vietnam, he and Bubba are you know, just kind of dropped in the middle of nowhere and they meet Lieutenant Dan. And again, that's Gary Sinise. Or if you're Dave, Patrick, whatever his name Robert is. Patrick. <laughs> Robert Patrick. Leading up to this, Bubba's like telling Forrest about his plan to buy a shrimp boat once he leaves. Forrest is out on patrol with his group. They come under attack. Many people are injured in the ensuing firefight. Forrest runs because that's sort of what Jenny told him to do. And then he realizes he needs to go back and he starts saving his squad mate. The last person he pulls out is Bubba. It's a little too late for Bubba and he ends up dying. Real sad scene. I think it's hard to relate how popular Bubba was as a character in 1994. Everyone loved that character and everyone was devastated when the Gat character died. They just talked about it all the time. I remember Bubba being in more of the movie. I remember the Vietnam section being longer than it really was. It's actually very short. It's probably only like a 10 minute, 15 minute scene. Forrest is also injured as he's rescuing these people. He gets shot in the butt. They take... Forrest and his squad mates out into a hospital. Um, Lieutenant Dan has lost both of his legs. Is really not taking it very well. He kind of wishes that he would have just died out there. Forrest starts playing ping pong while he's in the hospital recovering. Okay, so so after discovering that he's a ping pong savant, Forrest is given uh, the Medal of Honor. He goes to a ceremony, accidentally gives a speech at an anti-war protest, and he's reunited with Jenny. Um, another often quoted scene when someone's running through, what is it, the, the Mere Lake? What is that called? Uh, a reflecting pool outside of the Lincoln Memorial. Yeah, and so we learned about Jenny since last time we saw her. She's part of the anti-war movement, that she has to be a boyfriend. Uh, some things to note here. The person that you see on screen with Forrest when he's giving the speech is Abby Hoffman. And you might recognize him from the trial of Chicago 7. So in the scene, Forrest is giving a speech, but a police officer pulls the plug so you can't actually hear what he says. And it's played as if he had something profound to say. Apparently Tom Hanks actually had lines, and these are the lines. Sometimes when people go to Vietnam, they go home to their mamas without any legs. Sometimes they don't go home at all. That's a bad thing. That's all I have to say about that. It's really clear that why they cut that out of the movie. They just want to show his lips moving. So later, uh, Ginny takes... Forrest to a Black Panther meeting. Jenny's boyfriend hits him, and then Forrest Gump beats the living hell out of this dude and says probably one of the most important lines in the movie is, he shouldn't be hitting you, which I think is a line that is severely uh, underappreciated given all the like things happening in this film. They spend the night walking, walking and talking together, Jenny doing most of the talking, but in the morning, Jenny goes back to Berkeley with her boyfriend. Uh, however, Forrest gives her his Medal of Honor saying, 
I earned it doing what you told me to do. And he says that she should go back to Alabama. Yeah, it's a weird delivery. So after Jenny departs, Forrest stays in the military and uses his ping pong skills to kind of be an ambassador of, of types. So he travels to different places as a representative of the, of the U.S. military and plays ping pong. This is what I learned about this scene. They actually hired like one of the best ping pong players in the world to be his opponent, and they CGI'd in the ping pong balls. And apparently this great ping pong player had a had a really hard time fake hitting ping pong balls because like it just he couldn't do it. He couldn't figure <laughs> out how to act, how to do that. So they had to use a metronome to kind of time the swings and some other things like that. They just said it was very difficult for this ping pong player to not actually play ping pong. I mean, that makes sense. You've been doing something forever and your rhythm's thrown off. So one of the cool things I like about this movie is that it's sort of spurred me to learn more about the history that it talked about. I went and read really one article about ping pong. This is real. Essentially at this time, uh, this was called ping pong diplomacy. China invited the U.S. to do an exhibition matches in China and then for the team to sort of tour the country. And this is the first time that anyone had gone there, communist China, in an extremely long time. Like it was actually real. And I, I thought it was kind of a joke for the movie. These little moments, sometimes you're like, I want to learn more about that. Or is yep. that real? Mm-hmm. And then you look it up. So this movie gives you some context and some history at the same time, even though a lot of it is fiction. Yeah. Are you a decent ping pong player? No. Yeah. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm not great. I can, you know, hit the ball back and forth for a bit. But, you know, once we get into the hard hitting action, yeah, no, I'm not good at that. Yeah. Now, beer pong. Now, beer pong, I'm excellent at. I'm not, pretty bad I'm at not, that one I'm too. At, yeah. I'm, bad, I'm bad at that one too. Flip cup, no flip cup. I'm excellent at that. Is not a joke. I can rock someone at flip cup. <laughs> All right. Will I ever do it? No, because I'm an adult now. <laughs> I'd rather just enjoy my beer. Like in COVID times, can you imagine playing any of these games oh. where like a ball is being shared in cups that we're drinking from? Blech. Actually, college college kids are smarter now because what they do is they don't even put beer in those cups. They just put water in it, and then you just you're supposed to drink your beer off to the side. God, that is so much smarter, but... It's probably a lot less messier, too, because there is beer everywhere. Don't you love the smell of stale beer and urine? Like, that's yeah. <laughs> college! <laughs> some, yeah, some good old Natty Light smells, yeah. Uh, okay, so anyway, back in the States, after this ends, Forrest's release from it, he's interviewed on the Dick Cavett Show, and that's just a, a popular talk show of the time. John Lennon is on the show with him at the same time. And something Forrest says about his time in China inspires John Lennon to write the song, Imagine. This is a moment I think critics and maybe left-leaning viewers point to as being problematic. It takes a, a song that is, I would say, critiquing capitalism and consumerism and turns it into a joke. It's a joke about it, but like, do you feel like it makes fun of that song that he made? I don't. I don't think so. I'm just saying that this is what I read about it um and i mean this is a good point to say like films can have multiple interpretations and it's okay for them to have that after the show ends force leaves the studio and outside waiting for him is lieutenant dan lieutenant dan things have been rough for him he's really struggling in life he's drinking a lot he is very mad at Forrest because he wishes his life would have ended in vietnam but Forrest, being Forrest, like he's unflappable in many ways <laughs> he he does not react to Lieutenant Dan's like angry accusations and things like that and kind of just agrees with him many times. 
And I think Lieutenant Dan remembers like why Forrest is a good person or why he feels Forrest is a good person. And they spend the holiday together reconnecting. <laughs> Dan eventually realizes that Forrest has given him a second chance. I think starts to turn the corner. Like he's still mad at a lot of things like how his life ended up. I think he blames God. He blames maybe the U.S. government and, and some other things like that. Uh, these big faceless entities, right? He's blaming everyone for his situation and hasn't been able to kind of just take control of his life because he's still angry. But Forrest tells him his plan to become a shrimp boat captain. And Dan thinks that's hilarious and agrees to be his first mate if that ever happens. Okay, John, right here and right now, if one of us becomes a shrimp boat captain, the other one has to be the first mate. I'm in, Dave. I'm, I'm in. in. If you I'm decide in. to do it. My, well, you could decide to do it. You could you could be a shrimp boat captain. I will see what it takes to do that, Dave. And um, <laughs> it takes maybe that's where we go from here. Yeah. I, this is actually a funny, funny aside. Earlier on, when Bubba was like, if we work 10 hour days, like seven days a week, we can make break even. And I was like, damn, like, I hope we have no life. <laughs> yeah, it sounds pretty awful. Would shrimp be the, I don't know, the sea creature you would like to catch? <laughs> the sea creature. I didn't I like know what catch. the right phrase right there was. <laughs> so you're, you're saying like, if I became a fisherman to fish, yeah. would, would shrimping be the thing I would, you know, oh, yeah, like the, yeah. the animal I would want to collect? did see some interesting videos about crabs like, <laughs> it's like a weird uh like you know up in alaska you want to be on deadliest catch that's what i'm hearing you're like i want to go to alaska be on deadliest catch and get famous I, i'm following you john if you give you the boat i'll be there <laughs> <laughs> all right we'll see what it takes uh for me uh i would just want to be a lobster fisherman you don't have a boat right so you just have you just have i guess you might have a boat but you just drop stuff in the water and wait you drop traps yeah yep. i love lobster like shrimp too, but love lobster. I, I I like crab more than I like lobster, so I'd probably do the crabs. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we we have to fight about that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna push you towards shrimp and then lobster. <laughs> okay. So after that, Forrest does go buy his boat. He lands a ping pong endorsement that basically pays for his boat. So he uses the money to go to Bubba's hometown and buys an old shrimp boat and repairs it. Turns out Forrest is a terrible shrimper. <laughs> He's horrible. He's so bad. It's one of the best jokes. <laughs> In the whole movie. Part of it is also, like, there's a lot of other people shrimping, mm -hmm. so, like, he's not giving prime spots. He doesn't know what he's doing? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's that, too. This is a terrible idea. It was a horrible, horrible idea on him. He's like, I've never shrimped before, but I guess I'm going to buy a 25000 dote with, with my money. Ugh, horrible idea. We see what's happening at the same time. Jenny is continuing her downward spiral. She's promiscuous. She's starting to use drugs pretty heavily. And we even see a scene where, you know, she contemplates suicide. So she's... Yeah. Well, do you think she contemplates suicide here? Because I, I interpreted that different. It's probably a visual metaphor for her being on this precipice of things can go really bad and she ends up dead or she needs to start, you know, like, turn around her life. I took it as, like, she was high out of her mind and she's always said she wants to be a bird. And so she was up high and sort of just pretending and almost slipped. Yeah, but there was another scene where she was on a bridge and, like, she's like, what if I were a bird, Forrest, and just were to jump off here yeah that's true i think the end result still is the same it's a gut check like she has to get herself together or she won't make it yeah i don't think these scenes are the scenes of jenny and forest are happening at the same exact time they're like they're asynchronous i guess if that makes sense in time in chronological order i don't think like like in my mind like this happens and then she goes to his house and like the next week See, I, I kind of see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. 
Forrest sends Lieutenant Dan a letter saying he's got his shrimp boat. And Lieutenant Dan's like, all right, I'm coming down. We're going to shrimp together. I agreed to do this. And Lieutenant Dan, I think, realizes that, you know, this is something he might need. <laughs> so there's this scene here where Forrest jumps off the shrimp boat as it's driving by the dock when he sees Lieutenant Dan there. And there's like no one else on the boat and he keeps going. They actually had to really run a boat into this dock because computer graphics really couldn't do that at the time <laughs> so good yeah it gets, that was a real thing it was yeah. one of the bigger laughs of the film yeah. um i've been to this location the really? dock that they're on yeah where is that it's near fripp island i believe they also filmed some of the um the vietnam stuff there and last time i was there which was two or three years ago i tried to go but they were filming another movie there so i couldn't get in but i had i was on the dock lieutenant dan's dock so i did see that so I, I think many veterans said that it really did feel like Vietnam or, or reminded them a lot of Vietnam. Yeah, I, I just I didn't know that. I just went because I wanted to see it and they were filming another movie. Damn it. <laughs> so then what happens is a huge hurricane comes to the area since Forrest and Dan were ignorant enough not to know to come back to shore during this hurricane. They are the only surviving boat shrimp boat in the area. And become extremely wealthy as a result because they're the only people capable of shrimping. This scene always feels a little awkward to me or off to me because I don't know how to interpret it. And it's the idea of like, did God wreck a bunch of people's lives to, to make them rich? Like, I, that... I interpreted it more like they were like ignorantly lucky. <laughs> like, I mean, that could be it. Yeah. Did Everyone else did what they thought they should have done. Lieutenant Dan and Forrest didn't know and they just got lucky. Like I... I didn't interpret it as, you know, a divine being favoring Forrest. Forrest was just too ignorant to know that he shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but it worked out in his favor in some weird way because everything works out in Forrest's favor. America's favorite virtue, ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do uh, it my way. Screw this. Yeah. I, I mean, that's how I kind of interpreted the first scene. I, I do I do like your interpretation, but my original interpretation was he was donating money to the church in order to get right with God. And then God was like, all right, good enough. You get the shrimp. And by the way, you're probably going to get iodine poisoning. <laughs> oh, I, I actually, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and I don't know if it's true, but uh, that's how I read it. All right, so after this, Forrest decides to return home. He hears his mother is ill. He goes to visit her. She has cancer. She dies shortly thereafter. And he lets Lieutenant Dan run the business. Probably a smart move. Yeah, very smart move. Lieutenant Dan invests their uh, company's funds or, or the money that they have in Apple computers, they become extremely wealthy. So they don't have to worry about money anymore. What would that be today? Forrest gets a letter and it's like, we were early investors in blank. Amazon. Yeah. Amazon. Actually, Amazon. Netflix. Really Netflix. Bitcoin. Bitcoin. I, I had someone tell me to buy a Bitcoin what was worth $50 and I should have done that. And But I was so oh, broke God. at the time. I was like, I can't me, do it. <laughs> me too. I was like looking into that in grad school. I even set up like a, a mining program on my computer just because I was like going to learn how it functions. Kind of never turned it on. Should have turned it on, Dave. Yeah. I have $5 worth of Bitcoin because I have Coinbase. So I actually have like $6 worth of Bitcoin. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. I will be, I'll be rich next year. You know, just, you know. Yeah, I hope so. Good luck. Uh, my friend was explaining it to me because like, one, I'm not super techy into Bitcoin. I'm not I'm not into cryptocurrency or NTFs or any of that stuff. But he was like, Bitcoins are so bad for the environment. He's like, don't use them. Like, yes. Okay. Well, it's the mining. Yeah. But we don't have to get into that right now. 
Forrest's mom passes away. Jenny returns to Alabama and stays with Forrest. Forrest asks her to marry him. And she feels like she's damaged goods. And it's like, Forrest, you really don't want to marry me. Would not be good for you. And it would be unfair to you. Yeah. So that's how she feels. I don't think Forrest agrees with that. The scene right here is, I think, problematic. Probably the most problematic scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. There's a reading of this film that basically it feels like Forrest is guilting her into sleeping with him i don't think he's smart enough to do that though but i i think he's just like look jenny i love you and i can help you and support you and she's the one who says no uh but later she maybe feels like she misjudged him a little bit but anyway she like comes into his bedroom later that night and they sleep together yeah i mean i think it's important to say that you don't have to sleep with someone if they're nice with you in this film because i think you can interpret it that way so maybe that's how she's she's just like this is how i can repay his kindness this is what i can offer him you know i'm not i'm not really sure like how do you interpret that i i don't know that's a great question like i mean i think she does like him i mean she said it multiple different times but she's also an incredibly traumatized person and is trying to deal with that trauma and you can see rubber cousins of her sleeping with him are she leaves she she just absolutely leaves because she can't deal with it this spurs Forrest running across the country for and over several times, three or four times. I think this, again, parallels Jenny. So Forrest is running in a more literal sense from what is causing him pain. And Jenny's also running from her past in a different sense, but she keeps moving on and is unable to set roots down for this reason. I have two points here from this, this section. One, someone tried to estimate how far he ran and they came out with 15,248 miles. John, I once ran eight miles in a day. Baller. <laughs> yeah, nice. Uh, I think, yeah, the most I've ever run is about a 10K. So, yeah, it's about eight miles. Yeah, he, he's definitely going to have arthritis when he's older. Yeah. And then I want to just say this is based off a real, like, real event, like many of these other things. This running across America is based off, I believe it's Louis Michael Figueroa. I, I might be pronouncing that last name right or incorrectly. But anyway, you might be pronouncing it right too, Dave. I might. You're right. I might, maybe just guessed it. Maybe I, my, I'm ignorant. My ignorance helped me. But anyway, at 16, he ran across the country because he had promised a 10-year-old cancer patient who was despondent that he would do it for her. You're, she was really sad. And he's like, well, I'll run across the country for you. And he did it. Sounds like a movie. Sounds like a good guy. It, you know what? There has to be a movie with this, right? You would think so. Unless someone were, they were like, well, Forrest Gump did it. <laughs> like, <laughs> so after a couple years of running, Forrest decides it's time to go home. And in this time... An interesting thing has happened. He's basically gained a group of followers that think Forrest is some genius who's solved the mysteries of life and is out running because he's reached some form of enlightenment. And then he just kind of turns around and says, I'm going to go home now. <laughs> and everyone's like, what? That's it? I've been following you for years. I think that's like the funny bit of people who create cult figures out of people. It's like, yeah, they, yeah. they may not have a reason for doing what they're doing. There's an interpretation of this that it, it's essentially America trying to fight itself after the fall of the Cold, Cold War and not knowing what to do. So they're just sort of spinning their wheels. Uh, I agree. I think a lot of it is meant to be uh, representative of what America is going through at, at times, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so Forrest goes back home. I guess he gets a letter from Jenny, and this is where the story starts on this bench waiting for a bus. We, we come back to this and we realize that in talking to someone who's waiting for a bus with Forrest, that he's really only a few blocks away from Jenny's apartment. So he gets up and uh, he goes there. And when he gets there, 
he learns that Jenny has a son. Turns out that it's his son. Also, at the same time, we find out that Jenny's dying of an unknown virus, I believe she says. Three of them decide to go to Alabama, where Jenny and Forrest wed. So what do you think of the save? Like, do we actually think this is Forrest's child? Oh, that's a great question. Wow. I had not actually thought about that. Maybe it shows that I'm naive. I think Jenny wants it to be Forrest's child. That's what I want to say. Like, she wants to be. We don't know if it is. I mean, we know about her past and probably what she did after she left Forrest, although I guess we don't know that's true. She may have not been with anyone else. Or did they show her with more people? No, they didn't. I mean, would it matter to Forrest? I I don't even think it would matter to Forrest. So this is what happens to Forrest a lot in this movie is like, the thing he needs to do in his life next is just presented to him after he finishes the previous thing. College, the army, shrimp boat, writing this. Things just like fall into his lap. He always has a path forward because it's always presented to him. So I think this is his path forward from here. I would like to think it's Forrest's child, but I guess we don't know that for sure. Yeah. But in many ways, this has gotten Jenny's act together. So her having a child and needing to be responsible for someone has helped her kind of kick some of her bad habits. I think she's comfort- more comfortable with herself. She's stable. She's got a job. She's not moving around like she, she was before. I think I don't think she's doing drugs anymore. But it also turns out that those years of hard living have caught up with her, and she has this virus that's killing her. In the movie, you don't know what it is, but I know the the, the screenwriter comes out later, I think even last year, and said that Ginny did die of AIDS. And really, that depends on whether you believe extraneous material can count within the film. I don't really, so it's like, I think she died of an unknown disease, um, but you can say she died of AIDS too. I kind of assume it was AIDS because if we're following the timeline of things, they have mm-hmm. an unknown virus that's killing people. Yeah, AIDS came about in the 80s. And, you know, like this is sort of where we end the movie, you know, like at that point in time. So Jenny passes away, leaving Forrest to raise little Forrest, his son. And, you know, like that's where the movie kind of ends. We see this feather again. The beginning of the movie, Forrest sticks this feather in a book. And then when he sends his son off to school for the day, he has that book with him. He opens it up and the feather blows out again. Coming back to sort of where we started. So Dave, do you interpret any meaning from this feather floating around here? Yeah, it's really hard to interpret that, what that is. I mean, I, I always kind of thought it was the the destiny part of the theme of the film. So like there's this theme of whether like there's predestination or everything's random. And ultimately Forrest is like, I think it's a little bit of both. And this feels like they're trying to say that him, I don't, I don't know. Like, I I think it's like Forrest kind of just goes where the wind blows him. You know, like that's kind of how I took that. And sometimes it blows him back home and back to where he started. I don't really know either because I'm not sure it's very clear as to exactly what that's supposed to mean. Is there an interpretation of that feather is now belonging to little forest and we we're going to be following following little forest who's also floating around randomly i guess you could say like that's where this the next part of the story is going to take us but the feather blows away from forest's book after his son gets on yeah. the school bus so i mean maybe you're right maybe the the feather follows the bus along to, and we see you know the next generation of gump that's a very interesting idea you know i i don't know but i yeah. like that idea it's very not clear like i i did read one thing a while back and it was like 
the feather represents the lightness of ignorance. And you're like, I don't know about that. <laughs> sure. It's sure. What as accurate as what we're saying. Yeah, exactly. Or like... it's a feather. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I did have one question about this scene and maybe you could help me make some sense of it. So when the movie ends, it just shows four sitting like on a stump. He doesn't look like anything. He, like, is it a sad ending? I don't think it's a sad ending. <laughs> so here's like, <laughs> so knowing Forrest Gump, and some of the other scenes, he's like, I'll be right here, for, you know, when you get back, Forrest. And his son gets on the bus. <laughs> you think he waits there all day for his son to come back? <laughs> it sounds like something he would do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I always thought that ending was very peculiar. Because I, I always thought, I was like, oh, this is really sad. He has nothing else to do anymore. Because he... I, I kind of just interpret it as like, he's had a good life. You know, things have worked out for him. He's like 32 um, at this point. He has a long time to go. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, you know, it just worked out for him. Like, I don't know what that means. Yeah, I don't either. It kind of feels like this whole movie. There's like, it's like there's multiple things you can interpret. You're like, I don't know. <laughs> God, you read it how you want to read it. Yeah, so why don't we turn this around on our listeners and say, how do you interpret this? Why don't you tell us? Because we don't know. We We're don't. not smart enough. Please help us. <laughs> So why did this movie win? And, and I'll give you the reasons that I got from going through some of the supplemental material. Music apparently was a big thing in this movie. So there are 40 plus songs in the movie played in chronological order, which is meant to sort of give you an idea of when we are in time. This hadn't really been done on that scale before. When artists were approached to hear their songs, some of them initially turned it down, but then were shown the story and agreed to put their songs in the film and even were given more songs. I also think the special effects these days, they don't seem that important, but editing Forrest into these historical events was a big thing. Lieutenant Dan's legs. So at the time, there wasn't really a great way to hide someone's legs if they lost their legs in a movie. They would like, you know, cut a hole in the chair or the bed or whatever and just like put the legs down in them. There were a lot of tricky moves done by Lieutenant Dan moving his legs through solid objects. So there was some fancy special effects. Like this is like one of the first movies to use computer generated special effects to this level. I also think the story just more generally is a history of the US told through a humorous lens. And I think people appreciated that there was some nostalgia going to relive some of those events and making them humorous. Likeable quotable character, you know, for those of you that weren't alive at this time, you know, we heard these Forrest Gump quotes every day. Thank God they're not, they're gone. (laughs) That's sort of my interpretation as to why the movie won best picture. Dave, do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I guess there's two things I think are interesting about it. This is a non-standard story construction. When you think about it, there is no antagonist. What's the plot? You're just vignettes of this guy's life, really. And I think that that's one of the reasons why it won, because it's unique. It's different. You already said that special effects are huge. Sure. I think we can all agree that Pulp Fiction is the the most influential movie of this bunch, but it's also incredibly gory. <laughs> the Oscars don't seem to reward violence. They are, in terms of movies, like sort of small C conservative. They like the movies to be sort of uplifting. Again, I would say that the Oscars are really about the most liked movie, not the best movie. And this one is clearly liked. Pulp Fiction had a scene where a man was knocked unconscious gagged and raped in some weird sexual fetish group so like yeah clearly yeah yeah that is the opposite of the conservative hollywood opinion they're they're conservative in filmmaking 
not like their mindset, but in filmmaking. Like, could you imagine Pulp Fiction winning the Oscar and like the blowback? Because like you just described it. It's like Oscar only loves violence and whatever. Um, yeah. But that, that's really what I think is going on here because we haven't talked about this, but I, mean, I think Pulp Fiction is clearly the most influential movie. It's still influential. And I think Forrest Gump, while I like it, its relevance is growing less and less every day. I'd be interested to hear what younger millennials and Gen Z kids, how they feel about it, or if they've even seen it. You know, like you and I, we watched it a lot as younger people. So maybe that's why we remember it. I'd be curious to see if it does have staying power. I read a lot of 25 years later, Forrest Gump sucks. <laughs> like, like a lot of those. But I, I read some of those things and I was like, that's dumb. I felt like they didn't really watch the movie. So what I would say is like one of the reasons I think it also won is like, I think there's a lot going on in that it is smarter than what people give it, give it credit for. I think there's a reading of this film where it's trying to track American history and create a monomyth and a myth about ourselves that everyone can, can talk about and understand. It's doing that in a clever way. Unfortunately, like because it's apolitical, like people can put their own thoughts onto it, which causes it to be co-opted. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying there. Because the way I interpreted it was like, oh, it's talking about the 50s, which is about your your family. And so you show Forrest Gump's family. You talk about the college, the 60s. So you show the anti-war movement and how it's a difficult time. And eventually it all leads up to the, the countercultural movement represented by Jenny and Forrest Gump uh, having a child together, representing the optimistic future of the United States. That was like the counterculture coming within the more traditional and forming like a better better version of both. Apparently, I did read a lot about this. <laughs> yeah, I would say. <laughs> anyway, let's go on. <laughs> so, winner or wiener, Dave? I like it. I think it's a winner. I agree. I um, I think my judgment for a winner or wiener is basically like what I tell you to watch this movie because I think you would enjoy it. And I think most people would like this movie. I want, I want to bring back to that question of, is this movie losing relevance? And I, I kind of feel like it is because it's so of the era. When we watched Cavalcade, we we were just like, what is happening in Cavalcade, right? Like, like well, The Cavalcade like, wasn't fun. <laughs> no, just, Cavalcade was terrible. I want to toss that out there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Cavalcade was terrible. But this feels like in that vein. It's still trying to touch on the, like, building a narrative around a shared history. Where Forrest Gump is clever is, you know, there's a lot of big moments in time and Forrest is inserted into them. Anyone who's had a basic American history class would roughly know about these things. I think more time needed to pass from those events to when Cavalcade was written. A lot of them are such minor moments in history that with a retrospective, you realize like almost none of it matters. There's also like no narrative. It was just like, these things happen to these people. And in this one, these Forrest's narrative is like, the driving narrative is really his relationship with Jenny and how they're both trying interacting with each other. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, John. That's the movie. Let's let's move on to our favorite section. Okay. Poor name. Let's do it. What you got? Chocolate box. Disgusting. That's <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> what do you got, Dave? Forest hump. <laughs> we should have looked. I'm sure there's. Like oh, I a, didn't look. An, I, I, I should have. I forgot to. Okay. We're gonna do it right now. No, we're gonna look up and see if Forest hump is real. Foreskin Gump. Okay. <laughs> Skin happens is what it says. Then there's a picture of a man sitting on a bench, on a on a bus bench, looking at a scantily clad lady. 
Jesus Christ. I also just learned of another one called Edward Penis Hands. <laughs> That's funny, though. <laughs> John, thank you for looking that up. Uh, let's talk about what's next. We have a lot of options. What do you feel like, Dave? Christmas is coming up. We can do Christmas movies like Home Alone versus Die Hard. Eh. Nah. Okay, that's fine. I feel like a lot of those have been done by other podcasters, so maybe we can branch out a little bit there. I put this idea down here, loincloths. And so that would be like He-Man versus Conan or Conan versus Beast the Beastmaster. Something along those lines. So I've been reading Conan comics recently and actually enjoying them. We'll, We'll put that down as a maybe. And then I was like, the Forgotten Marvel trilogy, the Blade movies. So I love the Blade movies. I would love to do that. I'm a little bit worried about doing three movies instead of two right now. So that might be one we like plan for a little farther ahead. That's a maybe. Let's put down a maybe for that one. Okay. And then I was saying erotic thrillers of the 90s. So we have Fatal Attraction, Basic Instinct, and Indecent Proposal. Uh, I remember absolutely zero of these. So like they would all be new to me. Something to think about. And mm-hmm. then 90s cyberpunk cinema, which I think we could probably just pick two of these. So I was thinking Johnny Mnemonic, Lawnmower Man, or Hackers. There's there's several other ones that we could swap out in there. I've not actually seen Lawnmower Man, and that looks pretty freaking terrible. It would be fun to talk about and make fun of. So of these, I, I'm leaning actually uh, cyberpunk cinema. I love. I would love to revisit any of three of these movies. All right, let's do that one. No, that sounds good. So the one that I think is a must is Hackers. The other two, you can you can pick whichever you want. Okay, we'll decide that later. Sounds good. Okay, Dave, anything else? No, thank you for coming on this journey. That's all I have to say about that. Okay, how do people get in touch with us? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, David at awardreaders.com or John at awardreaders.com. You can also send us messages on Instagram. We are on at Instagram at awardreaders.com. We do movie reviews and memes. Check us out. I'll interact with you. How would Forrest close this out? That's all I have to say about that. To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. And a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant, a time to reap, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to laugh, a time.